Welcome to this week's edition of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined once again, you know him, by Joe Wilkie, Will Harib. Before we get to the episode, uh, as always, there's there's something to tell you about, something going on at Focus Press. As we've been saying for weeks, um, the the projects in the hopper, uh, the list is quite long, and so this week there's another new one. Uh, our, our new website is up. We're really excited about that. It's got, uh, it's a lot more... Uh, well, number one, it's a, a lot newer look. The old one had been up for eight years and, and definitely needed a face, facelift. But we also have, have made it more easily uh, navigable, uh, a podcast page that has not only Think Deeper, but all of the, the new projects we have out now and, and those coming out. Uh, and so check that out. We've got our seminars page uh, that show uh, how you can uh, book the, the various Focus Press speakers, myself, Joe, Will, uh, Brad Harib, at your congregation, the different seminars we uh, put on, and uh, just uh, all the usual, our articles. Uh, we've got a videos page for the, the new things we've got coming out, including Joe's Bible study series uh, that's just starting up, and uh, just all kinds of new content, uh, just a great new resource we're so uh, proud to have. Focuspress.org, go check that out. As always, uh, make sure you sign up to our email list. Uh, we're going to make that easier for you to do here in the next day or two. Uh, we're still just kind of putting together a couple of uh, extras on the site and a couple add-ons that we want to make sure to have, but uh, it is up and it's running, so go check that out at focuspress.org. With that, though, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. We actually had the chance to spend some time together this last weekend, uh, and in doing so, we got to brainstorm a lot of topics. Uh, We've got some really neat stuff coming down the pike uh, in the next few weeks over Think Deeper, really the next few months, but one of the things that we've always enjoyed doing, and I think the listeners have enjoyed, uh, these episodes always do well number-wise, is kind of ranked lists, kind of the BuzzFeed style, I guess. Um, and, and one of the ones that I've been thinking about and, and has come up in my teaching, and I think you guys uh, had had some similar thoughts, was the hardest commandments in the Bible. The things you look at and go, oh, wow, that uh, that's going to be a challenge. And of course, in that, God doesn't leave us on our own, you know, through through study, through prayer, through the Spirit. We're strengthened for these things, and that's the blessing of them, but it's still something to acknowledge that when we look at it, it's we can say, that one's going to take some concentration. That one's going to take some determination to get those things done. Um, you know, and, and everyone has commands in the Bible that just are, are a, a total breeze for us to keep, right? There are certain things that I've never been tempted to do uh, the wrong thing, uh, and I just don't struggle with it at all. But there are certain things that I think are pretty common struggles across the board, and that's what we're going to talk about in this particular episode, is these hardest commands. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to lay out a list of five of them, and then we're going to come back around at the end and rank them, what we think is the hardest of those five. Um, and, and I think there's a little... We will all do that separately. Like yeah, we're, we're not going to do that collectively. Yes, we're going to do it separately. Yes. And we don't know it. Right. We don't know each, we don't other's, know each other's list. Lists. And so, Sounds like there's some... While disparity. you're following, keep up with these. Think of, you know, if there's other difficult commands, uh, be sure to share them. As always, YouTube comments, Facebook comments, wherever you reach us. But then also be keeping a list in your mind of what do you think is, is the most difficult of these. And when we say they're difficult, I want to say this as well. This is not complaining. This is looking at the the standard that God has called us to, the holiness, and it gives us awe of God, awe of Jesus that he kept these things perfectly, number one. Number two, it gives us gratitude that God knows how badly we're going to fail in all of these points and still gives us grace, still gives us forgiveness, love, washes our sins away. Uh, it, and so keep that in mind. These are not us going, man, it, it's hard to be a Christian. This isn't fun. No, it's 
this is a high calling that we're pursuing. The other thing, too, just before we get into the commands themselves, is there is kind of this, I guess, movement or push, whatever you want to call it, within within preaching, within congregations, to kind of steer clear of the hard and fast, hard fast commands and go more with the, again, we, we belabored it before, love God, love others, right? It's just all about love. And I, I think we do that in a way because we want to stay away from the what we view as the legalistic kind of Old Testament law. It's just all about keeping commands. But I think when we do that, a lot of times we do neglect the fact that all these, at least, that we're going to look at, and of course there's many others, they are imperatives, right? They, I mean, they are commands. And so for us to just kind of only preach, well, you know, just just love God or just love others, and we never really get into the the commands portion, or again, we, we, we don't like that word law. We, we, we like the word love. We don't like the word law. Sometimes I think we can neglect those things. So a lot of that is also what, what we're going to be talking about with this episode. And even on the love God, love others, tangibly, like what does that look like, right? It's easy to blanket statement that and, and yeah, 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 we get it, we get it, we get it. But like, no, but actually follow that. What does that look like? And so we want to get into this. Um, in, oh, I want to say okay. one other thing before we get into the list itself. Sure. There's two ways to look at the high calling of the Bible. One is very much maybe the dominant view this in this day and age of, wow, that's really hard, and we're all broken. We've talked about brokenness culture. We're all all of us fall short, and and it's okay. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back and go, man, it's really hard, and so it's okay to keep on failing. And the other side says it's really hard, but I've been given grace. I've been given you know by my heavenly Father. I can't fail if I just keep at this. Uh, and so you look at Jesus as our example. We're supposed to walk in his footsteps, be more like him every day, not looking at that and going, well, I've got grace covering me. And so, yeah, it's just hard. And so like very low expectations. It's man, this bar is really high. He's given us everything we need to pursue that bar. And he's not holding us against it when we fall short of it, but just keep not holding it against but us we're still pursuing say, as, as we it. fall short of it. Yeah, pursue it. Like that is that should motivate you to greater faithfulness, not motivate you to say, ah, it's okay to just kind of sit back and, and rest on my laurels, you know, continue and sin that grace may increase increase kind of thing. So let's as you said, get to it. First on the list we're gonna cover uh, is rejoice always. Uh, you have that in Philippians, especially rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He repeats it for effect. But when you look at always, um that's <laughs> Always is is really broad, and and it's one of those things where we can start saying, well, hang on, what about when I get a, a very bad health diagnosis? What about in financial crisis? What about in persecution? Uh, you know that that some of our Christian brethren are facing. What about what about what about about? That's the same chapter in which Paul is writing from a Philippian jail, right? And so he's telling them, you can find joy in any situation. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He really kind of fleshes out how you rejoice always. But that is really hard. There's other Bible verses that repeat this as well. And so let's let's talk about this a little bit. Rejoice always. Um, well, let me say this. I've, I've yeah. run a, uh, a Greek word search on it, pantote, right? Or pantote, I guess, is, is how you'd say it in the Greek. And um, believe it or not, always actually means always. Whoa. So just, yeah, just, hmm. to, just to, you know, throw that let out there. Let me write that one down. Um, no. <clears throat> that's right at all times always there's there is no like oh but actually you know it, it means there's sometimes you can no it means rejoice always that's first thessalonians 5 what 17 um and that's where 5, it's 16, a, rather. Oh, 517 is probably yeah, 5, 16, yeah. Um, james 1 consider all like that one he doesn't even take you can't even be ambiguous about it when you encounter various trials right consider when you go through these joy. difficulties 
Yeah, and and why you consider it joy, he explains of you're going to get stronger from it. It's a you know it's it's going to build the the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance has its perfect result. You know, like this is building you up to something. That's that's a hard perspective to well, find. Well, the place I always go to, and actually, ironically, I preached on it last week uh, at Decatur, is First Peter chapter one, where he he again he uses that kind of analogy of gold being tested and, and refined in fire. Um, in starting in verse six, when he says, "In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials." So, I mean, you guys know you study First Peter. What's the theme of First Peter that most people would agree on? suffering, right? Suffering for the seven. It's, it's mentioned in every chapter. Isn't it interesting that in a letter or a, a book, whatever you want to call it, that's, that is about suffering, how does he start out? What does he start out talking about? Joy, rejoicing. Uh, you know, verse said that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise on and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see this in many of the New Testament books, this idea of rejoicing, this idea of, of, of count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And one of the things I said in my sermon is think about all the trials that these Christians were going through. Think about the people that Peter was writing to. Think about the, the you know, a lot of people believe James is one of the earlier books written maybe around the time of uh, when Paul was persecuting or right, right after that. What were those Christians enduring? What, were the, what was their trials? What was their suffering? They were running for their lives. They were, they were being scattered. They were being thrown in prison. And he's, they're, they're saying, they're being commanded to count it all joy and rejoice in those things. And so, I guess to put it bluntly, what's our excuse, right? I mean, if you live in the United States, you're not going to get thrown into prison for being a Christian. You're not going to be running for your lives. You're not going to be crucified upside down like Peter allegedly was. So what's our excuse? And so I think that, but that's why we're getting to this is because we do have trials. We do have th- things that are difficult, but that command is still there. Rejoice always. Well, and are we are we the type that, you know, we consider it joy that we're going through this because we really just like the pain and suffering? No, we don't like the pain and suffering. We like what the result of it, which is what James speaks to, right? That we'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But he also has in 2 Corinthians 7, right? He says, verse 4, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So there's multiple aspects to joy around the affliction. It's not just the result of the affliction. It's the comfort we receive in the midst of the affliction from our brothers, sisters in Christ, it is the zeal that that and the faith that we have. This goes back to Acts 5. We were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, right? There's multiple aspects of having joy within the within the conflict, within the um, affliction that I think we miss as Christians because we focus so much on the affliction itself that we don't see any of the surrounding blessings taking place. So I guess what we really need to do here, we're using the word joy and rejoice a lot. So we need to explain what that means. And it's really not jumping up and down for joy like, yay, I got thrown in jail. All right, this is the best. This is what I was hoping would happen. And, you know, or, hey, I lost my job. Or, man, I've I, I've got cancer. I've got, you know, uh, I broke my leg and can't work. And uh, yippee, that's not really what rejoicing is. It really, it, it can be a little more solemn than that, right? And, you don't, you know, sometimes you think of joy or being overjoyed is not a solemn thing. 
but it is a a peace, a restfulness to say, okay, this this thing's going to make me more like Christ too, which is my ultimate goal. And if if you have that ultimate goal centered, and that's why I, I we when we talked about misused verses in Philippians four thirteen, I talked about this a little bit. That's why the the Joel Osteen, uh, Stephen Furtick, the the motivational preacher, the health and wealth, the you know I've got a word that that God has a plan for your life, da da da, you know like all that stuff. Uh, all of that stuff is so pushes you the wrong direction because it makes the goal temporary happiness, makes the goal earthly success, not Christ-likeness, not growing closer to God, more dependent on God, and and so then when that trial hits, it's like, well, hold on, I must have done something wrong. You're kind of in, in the Job situation. Well, what what did I do wrong to deserve this? And when you look at the Psalms, you see difficult situations. You see the valley of the shadow of death. You see a, you know, a feeling of abandonment, but you also see that that return over and over and over of God's always there for me. And that's where the joy comes in, I think. Well, I think you, I, you spoke to it as well. Happiness, not joy. I think a lot of a preachers difference. these days. Yeah. And a lot, yes, and I think happiness, the way I, and maybe you guys have a different definition, the way I define it is circumstantial. I'm very happy that I got to go watch this baseball game, or I'm very happy that I got to go. It can come um, and go is, is what you're going for there. Right, that I get to record this podcast. That's great. Joy is a deep, abiding presence of like, even in the worst of situations, it's not that I'm happy about it. It's not circumstantial, but it is a knowledge that everything's going to be okay. And the knowledge comes, I think, through the gospel, God's word, which multiple verses talk about. Well, joy should be fueled by something more constant, right? Like you're talking about happiness. You know, I'm happy when I'm eating a certain food or playing a certain game, circumstantial, like you're saying, that can come and go. It's, it's very temporary. It's very fleeting. Joy is something that should be driven, again, or, or should be founded upon something so much more solid, so much more, uh, or so much less temporary, so much more permanent, something more firm. And so again, we had an episode where we, we talked about finding joy in the Christian life way back when we were first getting started this year, um, all the way back January, February or so. But the, the overall point here is why is it that Christians should be able to rejoice always? Why is it that Christians, again, I'll go back to First Peter, why does he use that that phrase joy inexpressible? That word in the Greek for inexpressible appears nowhere else in the New Testament. Uh, a joy that is literally impossible to describe with words. Why is it that we are to have that? Why is it that we are to count it all joy and rejoice always? Because we have salvation. Because we have a, a we have a spiritual inheritance. We have something that the rest of the world uh, again, you know, you th- you hate to think about it like this, but when they wake up in the morning, what hope do they have? You know, they they are strictly right. living for pursuing their career, chasing the dollar, living a life of comfort, luxury. They've got no, they've got no, nothing beyond that. We have a spiritual inheritance. We have something that supersedes all earthly pleasure. We've got salvation. And again, I'll say in 1 Peter verse 9, we talks about receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what we have. What what more of a reason do we need then to uh, to rejoice always or to count it all joy? Yeah, I want to get to one other verse as well before we wrap on this point. Is in First Thessalonians four thirteen. You know, there's that concern. The Thessalonians seem to be confused about you know death and if you die before Jesus returns or you get to go with him and and all of that. And uh, I love the line that Paul says. You know, I want you to be informed so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And so, you know, when somebody dies, yeah, you grieve, but it's not the same kind of grieving. And so, in the same thing of in in these trials and different things. Don't be like the people who have no hope, because in your trials, in your difficulties, in your pains, you can always look at it and go, 
there is a God, my, my Father who loves me is going to steer this bad situation to what is best for me eternally. Uh, what is, what you know, making me into this, this creature of, uh, you know, fit for eternal life. And, and so you can have a joy that the people who are not without, or the people who are without hope just can't have. And so compared to the world, our trials should look a whole lot different. But again, this is a really hard concept. And so the Philippians 4 thing where he finishes that is the be anxious for nothing. But all of that culminates in with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be thankful. It's the gratitude that helps you rejoice in all things because you're reminding yourself, he's there for me, he's using this, he's guiding me through this, he's he's going to make good come out of this, and so I can be grateful for that. So rejoice always, number one, hardest command. Anything before we move on? Well, hold on. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I've been teaching on this, teaching on the fruit of the Spirit at Nashville School of Preaching, and I just taught on joy, so this is all very fresh. I'm going to run down the list. I'd love for everybody to just, you know, study this on your own, see what you come up with. Even running a simple word search on joy or on kara, um, grace, or, or kara um, being the word for joy in Greek. Look at Mr. Greek Comes today. up with what brings joy. Seriously. That's right. You know me, Greek scholar, as I push my glasses mm-hmm. up my face. Sorry, I realized people can't see that, so it probably sounded really weird. Um, it did. Don't worry. It did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the Greek but anyway, for nerd? Yes, Mr. Mr. Greek and geek, or the, the Greek geek. Um, anyway, what brings joy? Well, as you run the, the, you know, as you're looking through, God's word or the gospel brings joy. You can see all the way back to Psalm 19, verse 8, Philippians 1, 18, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. Salvation for ourselves and others brings joy. Acts 13, 52, Acts 15, verse 3, Philippians 1, 18 as well. Church brings joy, Romans 14, 17, Philippians 4, verse 1. Unity brings joy, Philippians 2, 2, 2 Timothy 1, 4. Christ brings joy, Matthew 2, 10, right? Luke 1, 14, Luke's got it all the way throughout, John 3, 29. Heaven brings joy. John 16, 22, Revelation 19, 7. Suffering brings joy. Faithfulness brings joy. So as we go through this, you know, with all of those things, yes, rejoice always. You can find joy in any of those things. Heaven, Christ, faithfulness, church, salvation, unity, restoration, gospel. Um, there's plenty of stuff. So yeah, that's that's a basic breakdown. I can see these guys are <laughs> laughing at Thank me with, you, their mics, Strong's with their mics muted. All right. <laughs> that's right. But But as you run through... It is putting it in context of each one. Yeah, you can read through and be like, there's a bunch of joy, but what specifically brings the joy? How do we rejoice always? Well, you pick one of those, whatever's going to help you in the moment. Sometimes it's going to be looking toward heaven. Sometimes it's going to be looking toward the unity, the brothers in Christ, as we just read from 2 Corinthians 7. Sometimes it's going to be finding joy in the faithfulness of a brother, in the restoration of a brother. Sometimes it's going to be finding joy in the gospel. Sometimes it's going to be finding joy in, in, you know, the church. There's going to be different times in your life where you need to find joy, so don't make fun of me. <laughs> don't don't act like it's Mr. Strong's concordance. You break it the, down. Those all have the same underlying there's, point there's, of the joy comes from the purpose of living for Christ and seeing him glorified. So Yes, but in different things. Well, thank you. How about you go ahead and preach that? Just find joy in living for Christ. This wouldn't be on the list if it was that easy to find joy in living for Christ. If we break it down into the things, specific okay, things we can okay. find joy, on it gets easier. So, Mr. Mr. Smart Guy. <laughs> Full disclosure, when we started this episode, we were like, yeah, let's try to keep this thing short. I think we would Joe just said what, that. Eight, Joe's the one that said, let's keep this short. So. Hey, well, well, hey, I put up my finger and was going to, so I could speak, and you're the one that tried to railroad me out of here <laughs> and not give me okay. time to speak. And so, yeah, I took the floor. Okay, and Joe, and go ahead and get us into the, the second one here. To us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. I got another oh, no. concordance for this <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't actually. I would just to, just to mess with you. That'd be funny. Um, second is consider others as more important than yourselves. And we have a couple different points to go along with this. First would be um, deny yourself, of course, as, as you're elevating others and deny yourself. And the second would be to love your enemies as yourself. And so there's multiple aspects to this considering others as more important than yourselves. The, the you know, lowering of yourself, the elevating of others, but even the elevating of those we don't like, the elevating of our enemies. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to kick it over to Jack since he's <laughs> super smart here. Hang on, I'm getting um, my concordance out. And I'm, I was going to say, do you got your strongs no, out yet? I mean, there's Philippians, we're still in Philippians with this one. Philippians chapter two, where it's talking about having the same mind, but he says in verse three, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Um, and do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That This is one of those things where the gospel is transforming our nature. What's our nature? Looking out for number one. Looking out for what I need, what would make me happy, what I want to do. And, and that's where he says, have the same mind that Jesus had, which was putting us first. And and so, you know, we talked about this with uh, on one of the episodes recently about love. Uh, the biblical command for love, I think it was in the church reset one, we talked about where you know, everyone knows love your neighbor, but it says love your neighbor as yourself, but especially as Christians, you're supposed to love as Jesus loved, love uh, our Christian family as Jesus loved, which is better than ourselves. Uh, Because love your neighbor as yourself is, boy, I would appreciate if somebody did that nice thing for me, so I'll do that for them. Love better than yourself is, you know what, I'm going to give you more than I think I deserve. Uh, You know, I'm going to, or Jesus like laid down his life, didn't consider his his, uh, deity a thing to be grasped and emptied himself and all those things that he did. And so, Again, very much against our nature, very much something that that God has to train us into. And there's a reason why Romans 12 talks about it as well in uh, being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He said uh, not to think more, Romans 12 verse 3, uh, everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Uh, There's a real humility. There's a real expectation that we are going to look at the people around us and say, I need to take care of them. I need to, in verse 10, give preference to one another in honor. Uh, and as you said, with the enemies, where he says uh, not being haughty in spirit toward each other, associating with a little, like, never paying back evil for evil, don't take your own vengeance. All of these things are looking at the people around me and saying, I'm going to give them better treatment even than I think I deserve. I, I think, you know, this is one, we're going to rank them here at the end, but this is one to me that, might be the least practiced, uh, at least in principle, because you think about, and you know, I've got a, a about to be a 11 month old son here coming up shortly. And, um, you know, right now he's, you know, not talking or anything like that. So I got a little ways to go as far as, you know, teaching him how to, how to behave and that kind of thing. Um, he's learning. No, he's learning the word no from, from us. But, uh, anyway, one of the things that I do hope to teach him is that the world doesn't revolve around him. And, you know, Jack, that's something you just spoke to about kind of our human nature is basically to think the world revolves around us, or at least if we don't think think in that way, we behave as though it does, right? You know, every decision that we make, every um, every hour of our day, every whatever. We're all the we main characters of our own story. Right, right. And so, again, not to just pile on, you know, other people. You think about how many young people today, their world revolves around them. What do they want to do? What activities do they want to be a part of? And so whenever they, they're told they have to give some, they, they need to be giving more to God, it's like, well, no, that's that's mine. That's my time. That's that's not what I want to do. And again, you go to the other end of the spectrum. How many older folks kind of envision the world as revolving around them and their needs? And so this is one that, again, 
we have to really take back within the church about raising up young people, raising up kids to to, to really follow this command. Esteem others as more highly than, or uh, I'm going to mess up the, the verse here. Let each others uh, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. We don't teach that a ton, you know. Again, our our society is is me driven, me. What do I want to do? And so this is one that we truly do have to kind of take the generations back and raise them up to hold the door for other people. You know, think about what what start your day with. Rather, what do I want to do today? How can I serve somebody else today? How can I help other people today? If you're if you're a young kid, how can I help the family today? We don't think like that. And so, again, we're going to rank them here at the end, but I think this is one of the ones that is one of the lesser practice ones that we've talked about. See, I struggle with this one because I have a lot of clients who feel that the most loving, basically, they don't ever think of themselves, which they've learned from the church. You don't ever think of yourself. Jesus others yourself. You're very, you're definitely last. Okay, granted, get it. At the same time, they give and they give and they give and they give and they never ever think of themselves or they push themselves so far out that it's like love others as you love yourself. Well, they don't love themselves. And so they think that the most loving thing they can do is basically be walked all over, have zero boundaries with anybody. And if they do set up boundaries with other people, it's selfish because, well, I need to give to other people. I need to make sure that other people are happy with me. I need to make sure that I'm giving, 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 giving of myself. I think we should be giving more of, of ourselves. I think we should be thinking about others. But I think, in my opinion, I think we can go too far with this to the point that in trying to avoid selfishness, we start serving other people out of selfishness because it is, we're, we're not actually meeting, we're not letting God meet our needs. We're trying to get other people to meet our needs. We're trying to get other people to to show appreciation or show love through the things that we do. And so I think we can out of a very, either out of a very depleted um, store of, of love we're giving of ourselves and we never fill our own cup. We never allow our cup to be filled because it's like, oh, that would be selfish if somebody did something else for me and if I actually enjoyed it. And so we're always empty or we only fill ourselves our cup by other people saying thanks for what we do. And so we're giving, 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 and but we really need that validation that we're really good people for giving all the time. And I think that can be just as selfish. So I struggle with this one because... I don't think the church has any concept of what selfishness actually is most of the time. I think as long as you're giving of yourself, you should never set boundaries is kind of what we hear, or you should, you know, give to the point that, that basically everybody loves you. And it's like, that's not always the case. We have to come from a place of being grounded in Christ. He's the one that fills our cup and we fill our own cup through Christ. And sometimes by allowing other people to help us or by not, or, or by setting boundaries and not being depleted, all the time by other people who were just leeches and standing up for for ourselves and saying, hey, brother, it sounds like you really need some help. It sounds like what you need is not for somebody to come along and enable, but for somebody to set some boundaries with you. And that's well, the most loving thing. So, yeah, I, I don't but, know. I struggle. Jack, I'll kick it to you in just a second. I think the whole idea here with this one is that you you choose not to exalt yourself. And sometimes through... Which I agree with. Right, but I, but I think what you're saying is sometimes the people who constantly are just trying to, you know whether it be do things for others or whatever, in a way they're, they're exalting themselves because of the thanks that they're trying to get or the recognition that they're trying to get or the, the way it makes them feel. This whole idea is that, you know, you, you, I mean, Jesus said the greatest among you will be your, will be the servant, right? Those who, who do not choose to, to be, to seek exaltation, to be exalted. Those are the ones that are going to be exalted because it's a humility thing. And again, 
our world trains us up, our society trains us up to have the opposite viewpoint. Uh, but Joe, I hear what you're saying there. I think that that's a tough one. It, well, because in their service, it looks selfless. right. I just it, don't it's it's, it's a backdoor selfishness, right? Uh, in the you know, it looks selfless, but it, it very much is seeking validation. And the the real test of it is what what is your view of other people? Or is it you know what I'm a child of God who's loved by God, and these people are there for me to serve? Or is it through serving these people, I can receive that validation. Like, these people exist in order for me to, they're almost like a, a stepladder for me to, you know, up my opinion of myself and how I do nice things for them, I'm thought well of by them. And and I just, I think the the healthy thing is uh, the, the parable of the servants in, in Luke, I'm drawing a blank on the chapter. Um, Joe, where's your concordance? Um um but where you know they just say look we're servants we're just we're doing what we're supposed to right like this is and like you said of that when that's the case you're willing to accept help from somebody else because hey they're a servant we're fellow servants we're on the same team not i kind of need the upper hand because if you let somebody else do for you then you can't be the oh wow they just they always put other people first wow look at them look how great they are such a servant right yeah and yeah and so um there's there's definitely the two sides of this but they really do come back to that same core of others exist for the glorification of me and as i said this is our default mode and so literally if you don't wake up every single day thinking god wants me to put other people first you will default back to putting yourself first thinking of what i want thinking of how i would like it and then the other side of this and and this goes along sometimes with the people pleasing thing is you do and do and do for other people and inside you're you're angry about it you've got that martha spirit right right why is nobody helping me why am i always the one why am i put upon why am i so burnt out rather than you get the joy from service you get the joy that comes from i'm just doing what god told me to do i'm loving as because he's loved me we love because he first loved us kind of thing Bingo. And when that's at the heart, that's how you love your enemies as yourself, because it's not about the reciprocation. Your enemies never will reciprocate. They never will give back. They, they're not going to thank you for that. Sometimes you can change the heart. So I'm not going to say never. I shouldn't say that word. But most of the time, your enemies are not going to thank you for, for heaping burning coals, for being good to them. It goes back to your point, Jack, of what's at the heart. We have been loved with a love that we could not possibly earn and we need to give the same to others because we've been shown That's that. one of those weird things, like the people you associate with. It's Sometimes you might have everybody you associate with is below you in some social status. And so you're kind of the big fish in the small pond kind of thing. Some people like setting their life up like that so that they're always admired. Or some people like you know, always being around people who are better off. But, you know, they're kind of leeching off of those people. Bo- again, it's the two sides of the selfishness, whereas... Truly being in Christ is, I can associate with anybody, and the Bible talks about that, you know, James and not partiality and all that. That's considering others first. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what God expects me to do and and consider you first. And so anything else on on point number two before we... All right, let's go to three. Uh, This one, we didn't really have a verse, maybe like we had with the others, but it's a concept that runs throughout. And the idea first comes from 2 Corinthians 10, where it says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But there's, you know, Jesus talks about what flows from the heart. Uh, you've got from the Proverbs and, and from the Psalms, things like that about guarding your heart, uh, the inner man and, and who you are. Uh, one practical example of that is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus talks about it's not enough that you don't commit adultery. You need to 
not lust uh, for a woman, after a woman in your heart. It's not enough that you don't murder your brother. It's that you don't hate him and, and despise him in your heart and, you know, uh, speak to him harshly and, and do these other things. And so it's the internal, every thought captive, taking control of your thoughts and not just your outward. Because it's real easy to pat ourselves on the back for not being an adulterer, not being a thief, not being uh, dishonest, you know, all these things. But if inside, that's kind of who we want to be, Sorry, Will, <laughs> I see you trying to talk. I think you're on mute there. Sorry, Why don't you no, go ahead and take saying, it away? I was saying that's exactly what Jesus was hitting on in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Yeah. The Pharisees, they were patting themselves on the back for following the commands to the letter of the law, and Jesus is basically saying, yeah, but your your heart is, is not in the right place. You're, you're, you know, it, he, he takes it even further back, even with the, with the murder thing. You know, yeah, you didn't murder. Are you angry with, with your brother without a cause? Okay, yeah, you didn't commit a physical act of adultery. Are you allowing your lustful thoughts to run wild? And so, like Jack said, we don't necessarily have a single verse for this, but this is something that is one of those difficult things to, to put our wrap our brains around, to put our hands around, because you think about how often we can allow our thoughts to run wild. I was thinking the other day um, about taking the Lord's Supper, and this is just kind of a practical application of it, but you ever had those instances where you're like, man, I, I really need to focus and, and think about what I need to be thinking about. And your brain just seems to want to, to run to any other place, but what you should be thinking about. And I think that's kind of the idea here with taking every thought captive, controlling your heart, that kind of thing. What is what, again, what does society tell us? What, what, what's the themes? What, what is the theme of movies and songs? Follow your heart, right? That's not at all the way God's word commands and instructs. That's not at all what Jesus says. It's not a follow your heart. It's more of a lead your heart, lead your thoughts, take them captive and so this is one that it's hard to get a grasp of, but it's one that is so incredibly important for the for the average Christian to to understand and to begin to practice taking every thought captive. It's interesting in going back to Genesis five. What was God's problem with with people? He said, or Genesis six rather, Genesis six verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually going back like that's that seems to be the nature of things is man has a tendency to head toward wickedness this is our sinful nature right we're, we're headed toward that and they really did that right before the flood and god destroyed the earth because he saw that all their thoughts were bad not even yes their actions were bad but their thoughts as well this is where we begin to transform things this is where we you know jack you already referenced uh romans 12 1 and 2 but you know, this is this is where we really start to transform ourselves as Christians, as the sanctification process, is when our thoughts, not just our behaviors are changed, but our thoughts have changed. And we're actually thinking different because it's very easy to have the same thoughts, to have the same bitter thoughts, or to have the same lustful thoughts. Well, I didn't go commit adultery, and Christ gets on it. Like, no, it's the thought that counts. And so I think the sanctification, and maybe I shouldn't say the beginning, maybe it's more toward the end, is the behavior has changed, and then the heart, you know, and the mind has changed to where you no longer want those things. And I think that's the taking every thought captive. But man, that's why, to me, I mean, this is this is like next level difficult. Well, don't don't give a preview to your ranking. Right. Yeah, that's right. When you consider Jesus's command against the or the woes against the Pharisees, I should say, in Matthew twenty three that you washed the outside of the cup and the inside is dirty. You, you've you got this beautiful right. gravestone and you're dead inside. 
and this is the part of your heart that man you can everything can be right on the outside the uh, your church life you're you're you know serving the church you know your bible you're there every time the doors are open your you know your life looks like it's perfectly together but inside you know, a perfect example of that is we've we've talked a lot about porn addiction, right? It's a rampant issue in the church, and you can kind of pat yourself on the back of, okay, I don't I don't have a porn addiction. I'm not one of those guys. But how easy is it to just have those lingering looks, right? That you're not in control of that. You're at the grocery store. Somebody's dressed the wrong way, and you know, just kind of taking that in, just a little more than you should, you know, kind of thing. And but. You can do the Pharisee thing. Go well. At least I'm not a porn addict. I don't. I don't have that problem. Okay, but how in control are you of your thoughts or your words? You know, of okay, I didn't snap and and bite that person's head off, but the rest of the the time, and you know, a- after an interaction with somebody, you just kind of running them down in your head, and and you just kind of take that bitter taste and apply it to them, and you're thinking of them in that way. These are things that we're called not to do, but uh, that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Was saying, see, I didn't do that. And it doesn't matter that you didn't do it if you wanted to do it. And, and if, if your desire is toward that and where your desire is, is where you're going to be led to. So wash the in, as Jesus said, wash the inside of the cup and the outside will be fine. Worry right. about the inside and, and the outside fixes itself. You shine up the outside and there's that internal problem. It's worthless. And so, again, as you, <laughs> there's a reason this is on our top five hardest. Uh, you know, where it lands on our rankings will be interesting to see, but... It's really hard. Not to bring in therapy again, but, you know, we have something in, called the cognitive triangle. And the idea is that thoughts lead to emotions, emotions lead to behaviors. And I may have mentioned it on here before, but like if you're doing something, if you're behaving a certain way, you say, why am I doing it? So you ask the question, why? You move back to emotions. Well, what am I feeling? And then you say, well, I, I acted out. I Let's say I hit somebody. Well, why? Because I was really angry. Well, why were you angry, right? You go to the thought in you know, in, in classic CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, like you would try to, to reform the thought or, or, or change the thought or cope with it or whatever it may be. But I always ask, where does the thought come from? And this is why it's so difficult is so many of our thoughts are, are based on traumas, based on past, what I call emotion-drenched experiences, right? Like, how do I know that you know, my, I have a thought that I really want a Coke from McDonald's. Well, why? Because I've had one before and it tasted really good and there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, there's, there's just, you know, a lot in that memory. And so I know I want a Coke from McDonald's, which causes me to feel a sense of longing or joy and causes me to, to my behavior to be driving to McDonald's and get one, right? So the thoughts are really difficult to change because we don't always know where they're coming from. But most of the time, it's connected to past experiences. And until we process through and work through those past experiences, it's really difficult to change the thought. And so taking every thought captive is us allowing God to transform not just our thoughts, but every experience that we've had that are leading toward the thoughts, forgiving ourselves, you know, processing through traumas, whatever it is moving on. So yeah, I'm not going to give it away, but I've kind of given it away on, the, on what I think about this one. We'll go for it. Good, uh, good thoughts there. I want to, I want to go ahead and move us on because we have two more to get to plus the rankings. So um, the next one we want to bring up, uh, do not love the world. Uh, it's already been referenced Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul talks about not being conformed to the world. But obviously, 1 John chapter 2, pretty, pretty clear in Scripture, you know, a direct command where he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then he gives a pretty clear 
um, piece of instruction as to the fact that you can't really be in the middle. There's no straddling the fence here. It's black or white. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So in other words, you love the world, then by default, the love of the Father is not in you. And so this is, is one of those things that, again, going back to the whole human nature point, we live in the world, right? We, we, we know we're supposed to live in the world. Uh, Jesus, in his prayer in John 17, he prays, he says, I don't pray that you, I, I, I don't pray that you take you know, the disciples out of the world, but rather that you keep them from the evil one. And so this is one that, because we're you know, surrounded by it so much, whether it be with social media, uh, the media in general, music, movies, uh, just the people around us maybe, depending on the work environment that you're in. The world is all around us. The evils of the world are all around us. And so sometimes it can be very easy to grow accustomed to and even let that grow into a liking of the world and let that grow into a loving of the world. And you think about all the people you know in your life that maybe you have seen this with. You know, Maybe they come to church on Sunday mornings, right? But that's about all you're going to get out of them. Why? Because they love the world. Because they have so many other things invested in the world. Why did Demas, in uh, it's, it's escaping, I believe it was 2 Timothy, that gives us the reason as to why Demas, who was, Paul listed him as a fellow laborer, a fellow worker in Christ. And later on in, um, in 2 Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas couldn't follow this command. This command was too hard for Demas to follow. It was too difficult. He loved this present world. This is one that Christians, especially, again, living in the United States of America, we really have to watch out for. Well, in James 4, just to attack another one onto your list of verses there, where James in, in 4 verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you not, or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. Um, that adulterous word—that's how He looks at it. And when you look at that usage in the Old Testament, where Israel was surrounded by the Canaanite people and think we want to be like them, we want their idols, we want to worship the way they worship, we want to live the way they live, we want to marry their women, we want to have families like theirs. And, I mean, over and over they are charged with, you've committed adultery. You made a vow to God, a commitment, a covenant with him, and now you're going to cheating on him with the world. And so, you adulteresses, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Uh, now, of course, this doesn't mean the the ascetic monk mindset of everything in the world is bad. Uh, you know, you can't watch a football game. You can't uh, go out to eat. You can't enjoy any of the things of this world. You need to eat bread and water and, you know, just on your knees uh, praying 24-7 waiting for heaven because the world has nothing to offer to you. You know, God created us an incredible world, uh, a beautiful world to be enjoyed and, and uh, you know, for us to participate in. But that doesn't, you know, when we we say the world in that context, we mean the planet, you know, the place where we live. The world itself, which is increasingly hostile toward God, this is something I've, I've said a few times, maybe on Facebook, I'm not sure if I've said it on the show. As the world gets more and more hostile toward God, there's a lot of Christians who think, you know, if if the world hates us, we're doing something wrong. Not at all. And That's if the, the world hates God, Jesus said. Yeah, yeah, the more they hate God, the more they should hate us. The more they should see us as weird, the more they should see us as backward. And you look at the early church. That's how they were. And Paul said the word of the cross is foolishness. You know, the Jews are looking for a sign. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. And we're just up here saying this this man came as, as God and died for us and rose again. That's what we're preaching. That's it. 
Nothing fancy. That's all. And he said it's going to look like foolishness to him. And you see throughout the book of Acts, like, what are you guys even talking about? What What is this that you're preaching? But they stood out. They were noticeable. They were different from the world. And so um, there is that need to be in the world, part of the world. Again, not monks, not moving out and removing ourselves from the world. Um, he talks about that in Second Corinthians as well when he's talking about withdrawing from wayward Christians. But he says you can't withdraw from the world. Like, from non-Christians, like, otherwise you couldn't live here on earth. And so you live here, but you have to be noticeably different. And that goes to the salt and light conversation as well, right? Matthew 5. If you're not salty, if you're not noticeably different, and he says you're worth nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so you have to be different. And by loving the things they love, by conforming to them, by living the way they live, by having the values they have, the same way Israel did with Canaan, we don't bring anything useful to the table. Uh, we're and again, it's adultery against God. Right. I I think I was just going to bring up something. I think my dad is originally the first one that brought this up. But you can apply this to anything. If you take a the social media account, the Instagram profile of somebody who's a Christian and somebody who's not, if they look the exact same, that's a symptom of worldliness that that's the problem. If you take a, a music playlist of somebody who's in the world, a, a Netflix recently watched. Um, list or, or whatever it is, but that's a lot of a this... big one entertainment choices, right? Yeah, because uh, again, in an increasingly hostile world, there is so much bad, and if it's exactly the same, I mean, how many uh, on Sunday nights over the last you know ten years, I'd get on, and how many Christians were posting about the latest Game of Thrones episode? Game of Thrones is porn. Uh, what are we doing? And, and, you know, my Christian friends and non-Christian friends, wow, what an episode. Like, hang on a second, guys. And I'm not going to get again, into litigating that, that no which show can thing. you watch, which yeah. you can't you. But, yeah, is there a difference? And in, in these are the kind of areas in which that plays out. But let's say let's say you're somebody who's who says, well, I don't watch those shows. I don't listen to that music, whatever. So the entertainment choices thing is maybe not a struggle for you. What about the way you spend your time? If the way you allot your, as we've discussed before on numerous episodes, if the way you allot your time looks very similar to somebody in the world again maybe spending a ton of time at your job two hours two hours get church and none of your time during the week studying the bible praying to god or anything like that do you look any different and so it's not just that the entertainment choices is big again especially for the younger generation but how are you choosing to spend your time if you're if you're spending your time chasing nothing but worldly pursuits then that's a symptom of worldliness as well joe do you have anything else to add you've been pretty quiet on this one no no i uh, didn't have a concordance for this one. Sorry. So that is a first. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's. Well, get us in the last one. Yeah. Then. Um, the last one is love God with all your heart, which is a doozy. And you you had started well on the first, um, saying you know love God, love others, and that's kind of what we say. But that's why I had said when you really break this down, when you really like actually take this and try to apply it, this is brutally difficult to love God with all your right. heart, right? With all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Right, because that's the key. It's not just love God. Right. There's a lot more details to that. Go Which ahead. I think is what all of these things get into. All of these boil down to like, do you love God with everything that you have? On the one hand, <clears throat> he's incredibly easy to love because of what he's done for us. And on the other hand, it's incredibly difficult to love because uh, it, he's, he's incredibly difficult to love with all our heart because our heart so often wants to go astray. It, it wants the things, as we just looked at, right, of, of the things of the world and the different evils. And it's easy to have our kind of our little pet 
evil inside, if that makes sense. Oh, I am abstaining from evil, but no, there's still this one thing, and that's not loving God with all your heart, is it? That means there's a little bit left that that you have not turned over to him. And so as we look at this one, the two greatest commands, of course, are love, love others as yourself, um, being the second. But the first is this, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength. I think it's heart, what is it? Heart, soul, strength in one, and then strength, heart, uh, strength. And then, then, heart, soul, mind, yeah, strength. I was gonna say. In Mark 12, yeah, it's, it's heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is it? Oh, okay, I was going to say. I know it's all four, but there's one that lists three, and so I can't ever remember which is which are listed. Well, but back in Deuteronomy, interestingly, it is only yes, three. Yes, that's what I was thinking. It's yeah. Jesus that, that, add, yeah, that adds mine. But it's every part of us is really what he's getting at, right? Like the physical parts right. and the spiritual parts and the emotional parts. I mean, it's it's he's trying to say, do you love God with everything that you have? Um, so, Jack, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Why is this, why do you think this is so difficult? What about this makes it so difficult? Well, it, with that, when he labels it the greatest commandment and love your neighbor as yourself, as, as second like it, he also says, on these rest the entire law and the prophets. And if you take all the hundreds of commands and you boil them down, the Ten Commandments, they're just applications of the Ten Commandments, right? Which are, here's the ways you love God, and then here's the ways you love your neighbor. And so you take the Ten Commandments and you can boil that down to these two. The first four of the Ten Commandments are, here's how you love the Lord your God with all your heart, not having other gods before him, not making graven images, not taking his name in vain, you know, observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy, like giving, taking time for him. And then the rest are love your neighbor as yourself, parents, murder, adultery, that you know, uh, coveting, stealing, those kind of things. Um, and so literally every sin that you commit in some way or another violates this one as well, violates love the Lord your God. Um, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you steal from your neighbor, if you commit adultery with your neighbor's wife, what, any of those, you, could, you violated that one. You violated love your neighbor as yourself. And you violated love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. How? Well, because if you loved God properly, you wouldn't sin against him. You wouldn't do the kind of thing that causes him to have to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. And so, like, again, there, this is the most violated command in the entire Bible because every time every, any human being has sinned, it's because they didn't love God enough. Adam and Eve eating of the fruit, it's because they didn't love God enough to, as Jesus says later on, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart automatically leads into obedience. And so any disobedience is not loving him properly. And you just think about all the ways in which Anytime a sin appeals to me and I go, I guess I'll go do that. I want to do that. That that temptation is appealing. I like that. I'll go do it. I'll eat the fruit. I'll, you know, lust after that woman in my heart. I'll say that mean thing about that person. I'll mistreat that person. At its heart, at the core, when you just keep going down the layers and you peel back a layer, peel back a layer, peel back a layer, it's because I didn't love God enough. And that's really convicting. That... Uh, you know, and and you think about when David, uh, you know, the Psalm fifty-one with after the sin with Bathsheba, the adultery. What does he say against you and you only have I sinned? And this is kind of what he means by that: is it's to God that I owe this obedience. It's it's to Him that I owe doing the right thing, and I didn't, you know, didn't love God enough to do the right thing. All right, Jack. I think that was. I think you pretty much just said everything. Uh, Will anything to add? No, doesn't look like it. <laughs> took the words right out of my yeah, mouth. Yeah, there you all go. The points. Yeah, just all, every the point. whole thing up. <laughs> so yeah, with that, then I think um, it's funny. Probably the most difficult is the one that we're that we spend the least time on. Basically, just to say like, hey, if you've done any of the other ones, you violated this one. But I want to get into that. That brings it around to let's rank them. Each we each have our ranking. 
and we'll d- give a give a refresher real yes. quick okay, on, all, so on all five. We started with rejoice always or count on all joy. Consider others. Number two, consider others as more important than yourselves. Number three, take every thought captive. Number four, do not love the world nor the things in the world. And number five, love God with all your heart. So with those five, we'll I will, back before, to the disclaimers real quickly. I want to just say once again, we're not complaining about these commands being hard. We're, right. we're being realistic about the Christian life and saying this is the bar he's given us to strive for, so let's strive for it, number one. Number two, by ranking them, we're not, this is all arbitrary. This is for fun. This right. is not, right. you know, right. like, so don't overthink what we're doing here uh, and get too caught up in it. But on the other hand, participate, play along, see what you guys think. Let's start with five. Uh, Will, why don't you go ahead with your five? Okay, so um, you want me to just give number Bottom five? Bottom of the list, go ahead. Give our number five? All right, bottom of the list for me, believe it or not, rejoice always slash count it all joy. Really? Whoa. Yes. And again, again, these are all so tough. So it's like when you're ranking them, something's got to come in last. So to me, all the other ones seemed a lot more difficult. I don't don't know. I'm not going to – we don't have time for me to give a dissertation on every single one. Um, This is one that I feel as though – and you could say, well, that's because you haven't really gone through anything. Maybe that's true, but – as of right now, I've, I'm, I find it pretty easy to rejoice always, to, to have a joyful spirit, to have a joyful uh, characteristic about my life. Um, I understand that depends on the trials you go through, but yeah, that one came in at the bottom of the list for me. Number five. Joe? Consider others as more important than yourselves. That's that's mine. Whoa. Yes. Um, it's because okay. I'm perfect at this, and so... Right. Uh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> again, as, as Will said, we're going to say this a bunch more. This is really, really difficult to, you know, when they're like, well, why don't we just rank them ourselves? Like, why Joe don't we is not? just more selfless That's it. than Pretty much what else. it is, which is this, <laughs> this is the one I probably have most to say on, um, just because I think we get selfishness wrong a lot of the time. I think, yes, putting others above yourselves, like, I genuinely love people. That's why I'm there. Like, I genuinely love people. And that doesn't mean I'm always good at doing it. It doesn't mean that I'm good at, at putting others above myself, other than, like, man, I see what people have come through. I've seen what they've gone through. And so I try to be empathetic. And so for this one, for me, it's not that I'm good at it. It's just, I think the more you understand where people come from, and I, I have a very, um, I'm very lucky to get to do that. The more I realize, man, everybody's coming through something. And so as difficult as this is, like the more you know people, I think the easier, uh, the easier it gets. But you know what I mean? Like you, you start to see why they do what they do. Sure. And it changes things. Jack, how about for you? Uh, my number five is do not love the world. Again, very difficult thing, a uh, very challenging one. But I think it's one of those that as a Christian, it's something we have to convince people, especially sometimes newer members or members that haven't ever plugged in that much of this is better. But when you get the taste for it, you you see it. And I think people, especially the kind of people who would listen to an hour-long podcast every week on Christianity, <laughs> they know, you know, like, this is this is where it is. Uh, that doesn't mean we do it perfectly. That doesn't mean I don't have things where I love the world more than God, and I, I don't have to balance myself on those. But conceptually, there. So, number four. Uh, it's so interesting. We all had different ones. This is gonna but be I'm going to start right. number four because I'm going to piggyback, Jack. That was the one that I waffled back and forth on. That is my number four is okay, don't love the that's world your four. for the, basically the exact same That's reason. my number four okay. as well. Okay, Do so we, we all had it toward the bottom of the what's list. What's your number my, four? Uh, Will, what's your... You, you said your four. Okay, so my, mine is... Uh, yeah, my number four was do not love Mine is others first. I do struggle with that a lot. Uh, I'm not uh, a people person to the degree like you're saying, Joe, but um, these are all really hard. I just think the other ones are harder, so that's why it's four on my list. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's... You guys got your fours. What's your three, Will? 
Uh, my number three was Take Every Thought Captive. Uh, could have been number two, or could have been higher, I should say. Waffle back and forth a bit, but um, yeah, that, again, they're all so difficult. But I, I would probably rank this one number three for me. I got Consider It All Joy. Um, I, that's really difficult, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I think fighting for joy because I have I know how to use a concordance. I see there's lots of things, lots of ways to fight for joy, <laughs> and so no, um, not to keep. Going I back would to figure that, this would be the the easiest for you, Joe. You got a better grasp on it. Well, obviously, of course, with all the that's right, all those verses. That's right. <laughs> Uh, that's my third as well, was Rejoice Always. And when I teach those passages, I taught through Philippians at one point here, taught through James, and it was like, hey, um, these are hard. This is a really challenging thing. This is something that you really have to train yourself in those moments of desperation to go find the joy in this. Ask God you know, for joy. Cast your cares on him and um, all that. But again, I think it's hard. I think the other ones may be a little bit harder. Uh, number two. Uh, so my number two, y'all have already said, so I'll go into that one, is the consider others more important than yourselves. Okay. Uh, that's my, my second one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one that I've always struggled with. Obviously, um, getting married, having a kid is something that helps with that because then you obviously have other, certainly you have other people within your immediate family to, to consider. But I also, and this is be me, me being fully transparent, I struggle with just your, your average, you know, just, just other people. You know, I, I kind of sometimes have a tendency to, to view my wants and needs as more important. And that I'll fully admit that's something that I have to work on. So yeah, this, this one's a tougher one for me than, than it is for y'all. So yeah, well, I've got this one ranked number. Two. That's one of those that getting married and then having kids revealed like how bad I was at it. You know, mm, I, sure. I lived all alone. And so it's very easy to say, I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving them my time. I'm, you know, like working with people and all that. And then you, you know, get married and, and Allison moves in and it's like, Oh, now that every single day I have to make choices to put somebody else first, uh, you know, in, in ways that I don't want to, uh, and then with a kid and, and all the patience and all the things you got to do with that, yeah, uh, it's it's not an easy one. Uh, Joe, you're what's your, what's your number two? Uh, every thought captive, um, you know, and uh, just guarding the heart, guarding the mind, uh, however, whatever verse we want to quote for that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's where it's very easy to be outwardly uh, on track, uh, where inwardly you're really la- allowing things to slide. So, Joe, I have a feeling that you're going to drop yeah, a bomb yeah, for yeah. my number two. My number, number two, <laughs> it's, yeah, this is the BuzzFeed gotcha, because it's the impossible one, but love the Lord your God with all your heart. What? And the reason why, the reason why is... Which means your number one is what? Go ahead and give us your number one. Take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Okay. Taking every thought I, captive. I, ours yeah, is love okay. God. Yeah. I find taking every thought yes, captive correct, to yeah. be unbelievably difficult because thoughts come and go so fast because I have a lot of thoughts. I'm super smart. Wicked smart. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, the, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart. Of course, this is going to be number one on pretty much every list because it's literally impossible to do. Anytime you say, we have a sinful nature, fallen nature, like any time that you sin, you're going against. Oh, this. So, okay, yeah. hold on. You, you used that term earlier, but so I don't get hate mail. Explain yes, the we're not Cal- we're not Calvinists. Yeah, I don't believe in original. Not born sin. in sin. We're not born right. in sin. I'm just saying we're born with a nature that is inclined towards sin. Um, that doesn't mean I have to repent of sin as a as a baby. Um, so no, I'm not Calvinist in that way, but I do think that that we're all and inclined of, to sin. You know, my say, oh, my parents were were given to anger, were given to this, that, or the other thing, so I am too. Well, my parents were given to not loving God perfectly, so I am too. That kind of thing. Right, right, right. So like, it's just passed down. Yeah, it's passed down, and and so you know, with that though, loving God is perfectly is impossible, but He gives us so many reasons to love Him that 
the sanctification process of being made holy, right? Uh, you know, that ought to be something that all of us truly desire. And I desire to know a God who loves me enough to send his own son. Now that I have kids, like the thought of giving up my kid for anyone, anyone on planet earth, even the people I love the most outside of my family is like, sorry, you're on your own. I'm not giving up my son for that. And, you know, for God to do it for those when, when we were enemies, when we hated him, like, how would you not want to know a God like that? Why would you not want to love a God like that? Um, so it's not that this is easy in terms of, uh, I will, this is the one I will mess up the most, but I also think this has the most potential for me to pursue in a positive way, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like taking every thought captive is just, Hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Loving God is like, I do get to do this. And so the running towards something and not just away from something I think is easier. And so for that reason, it's at number two. Very cool. But you already know my number one. Love God at the top, which, you know, uh, as uh, I don't think we really need to explain why. But one of the things I want to finish with as as we kind of come to the end of our our outline here is you look at all five of these things. Love God. Take every thought captive. uh, You know, control your thoughts and and your heart. uh, Rejoice always. Put others first. Do not love the world. I think all all three of us would say we've sinned in all of these ways and still stumble in all of these ways. Um, every I I'm just gonna uh, you know if if you get offended by this, okay. Uh, I think every single listener would say, yeah, I fail at all of these things. I still fail at all these things. I'm not perfect at all five of these things. And so the beauty of that is it shouldn't make us downtrodden. Again, what we talked about it should give us a high bar to pursue. But the other side of this and why why I like this concept for an episode is it drives us back to Jesus. It drives us back to number one, he did all these things perfectly uh, for us because we can't. And number two, because we fall short, he went to the cross for us. So not only did he die for us, but he lived for us. He lived a perfect life for us, went and died on the cross for us because we fall short in these ways, because we can't save ourselves, we can't outwork the bad that we have that that makes us commit these sins, or that comes from us committing these sins. And so that's one of the things with this this very topic-driven podcast, we don't talk a lot about the gospel itself, but it's at the heart of everything we do, is the blood of Jesus that makes this possible, the blood of Jesus that looks at us failing in all of these ways and many others, over and over and over and over and over again, and still says, that's my child, they're cleansed of all their sin, he became, you know, he made us become the righteousness of God in him. Um, What a blessing. And and as you said, Joe, that's what helps us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, is we love because he first loved us. Look what he did for us, we should love our son, I mean, love him because he loved us, and we should love others because he loved us. Any final thoughts from you guys? No, that's good. Once again, you're wrapping it up perfectly. Jack's killing it. (laughs) Just capping it off today. Um, any any more concordance readings for us, Joe? No, I I'll <laughs> gift you one for Christmas though. It sounds like okay, you might need okay. one. That's good. I need one. Uh, all right. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, we like doing these lists every now and then. Uh, as I said at the start, I think uh, people seem to get into them as well. And so uh, if you got a list of your own, if you've got one that we missed, uh, again, this is not the exhaustive list of commands that are difficult to keep. It's uh, a fun little exercise that we came up with. And so uh, drop us a comment, send us a message, and we will talk to you guys next week on Think Deeper. Think Deeper.